MSW Media. Hey there, it's Zev Shalev from the Narrative Podcast. We're getting ready to launch our new season on Wednesday, September the 8th. And I wanted to tell you a little bit more about the big story we have on our premiere. We've been investigating the events of Jan 6 since the day it happened. And every week since then, we've been adding pieces to that puzzle. Now we're getting ready to add the biggest piece of them all. The insurrectionists who stormed the Capitol on that day didn't only have the support of Donald Trump and his operatives, the GOP and Coke Industries. They also had the support of foreign intelligence operatives. We'll expose the operatives and lift the lid off the entire operation. You won't believe who's involved and the scale is mind-blowing. Join me on Wednesday, September the 8th as we launch our new season of Narrative. It's now on three times a week, Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can catch us live on Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn or on demand as an audio or video podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. Today, the Texas governor signs the voter suppression bill and is immediately sued. Internal park police emails reveal gun incidents and warnings ahead of the insurrection in D.C., A massive statue of Robert E. Lee is scheduled to be taken down today in Richmond, Virginia. And Governor Greg Abbott says don't worry about SB8 because he's going to eliminate all the rapes. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, so good to know that he could have just eliminated rapes this whole time and just uh, is just now going to do that. Totally seems like something you should sit on. Like if you could get rid of rape in a city, you think, I mean, now it seems like, yeah, perfect time to bring it out. Thanks. Thanks, pal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it really has just been a matter of, you know, execution up to this point. Yeah. Now he's like, no, we got this under control. We only have what? 6,081 untested rape kits sitting in Texas evidence rooms. Oh I mean, God. I'm sure I'm sure they'll just go through and, you know, take care of all that. Uh, and, and besides, a woman's body has a way of shutting that all down anyway. Totally. Right? And I mean, what woman wouldn't want to just have to think about that day in and day out after that horrible incident has happened mm. all on top of everything else she has to deal with? Yeah. I just hate these assholes so much. And then I'm sure that, I mean, that, you know, we'll, we'll go in and there won't be a shortage of pregnancy tests in Texas. No, I'm sure there'll course. be plenty and, and, uh, yeah, that I'm sh- everything's going to be fine. It's not, but I am talking to Steve Vladek at the end of the A block today, who has kind of a, a way to get this done. Lawrence tribe, uh, when I say get this done, I mean, actually sue Texas over this law. Lawrence Tribe tweeted about it. Let me uh, read you that tweet because it's going to come up in the conversation with with Steve Vladek later. And I want you to have a little bit of context. He says, Justice Thomas and Alito have said the Supreme Court has no way to duck cases in their in its original jurisdiction. And what that means is that includes cases brought by the United States, the Department of Justice. So they can't duck those cases. And Texas can't claim sovereign immunity in such a suit. And then he ends the tweet with just saying. So 
I think it's something that maybe we could all start pushing Merrick Garland to think about if you find that Lawrence Tribe tweet and want to just retweet it and tag at the Justice Department, D-E-P-T, and say, hey, um, original jurisdiction, that's you, Merrick Garland. That's you. Trump wanted to use it a few times, remember? When when he wanted the Department of Justice to just order the Supreme Court to overturn the 2020 election. (laughs) Yes, I do. It's just so laughable. Yes. And then after I talked to to Steve Vladek, who, by the way, is a, a constitutional law nerd. He's awesome. He's amazing. If you don't follow him on Twitter, follow him. After I'm after I'm done talking with him, we're going to have Zev Shalev, the host of Narrative Live on. And we're going to talk about how Russia is tangled up in the insurrection and possibly what's going on in Brazil right now, which is a kind of a copycat and or dry run of of our coup, depending on how you look at it, I guess. But Steve Bannon was down there and Jason Miller was down there and he was detained by the cop. It's just all very interesting. And Zev and I are going to discuss that. And uh, I wanted to tell you this little bit of good news before we get into the headlines. The largest Confederate statue in the United States of Robert E. Lee is coming down today in Richmond, Virginia. And if it's early enough, if you're hearing this early enough, you might be able to catch it on live stream. Governor Northam is going to live stream the removal of that statue. So it's been up there for 130 years, I think. Small victories will take them. Yeah, it's uh, maybe. Yeah. And, and he's on a horse. So maybe, you know, Ivermectin could save him. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. All right. We do have a lot of uh, headlines to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Lead story. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Tuesday signed the sweeping overhaul of his state's election procedures after months of delay caused by Democrats who sought to block the bill. They say will disenfranchise voters. It will. The measure bars round the clock polling stations. It places new restrictions on drive through voting and voting by mail. It will give more authority to partisan poll watchers who can observe an election. And it increases the requirements for identification voters must show when they cast a ballot. The ink from Abbott's pen had not yet dried when Mark E. Elias sued the state. The lawsuit took four to I think four minutes and 19 seconds to file. So Mark Elias and his team has sued on behalf of four Texas organizations, two Hispanic advocacy groups, a retiree organization and the state's largest teachers union. The lawsuit will challenge the law under the First and Fourteenth Amendments of the Constitution and under two sections of the Voting Rights Act. So we'll stay on top of that story for you as that lawsuit unfolds. I love when the smart people come up when the dumb people do things, because that's basically what's happening. Abbott, my God. Mm. What do they say about stupidity? It only hurts the people around you. It's like death. Yeah. It only hurts the people around you because you don't know you're dead or stupid. Yep. Uh, All right. Stretching that one out. Now, this story, this is an, an internal police email. These are internal police emails. They have revealed more gun incidents, more arrests and more safety warnings in their areas near the White House. And these are in the hours before the U.S. Capitol insurrection on January 6th. This is a kind of a big story. <laughs> Using the Freedom of Information Act, the News 4i team obtained emails sent in the morning hours by the U.S. Park Police and National Park Service leaders. Now, in these emails, police shared alerts about the size of the crowd forming outside the White House ellipse in anticipation of the former guy's speech and concerns about items some in the crowd carried or displayed. An early morning email said, quote, many most visitors have brought backpacks that are not permitted in the venue by USSS. Now, the USPP units are having to collect and sweep these backpacks. Some of the backpacks were placed in the trees on the WAMO grounds 
and are being removed by USPP and NPS assets. So they're now sweeping this crowd. Yeah. And I think just to for uh, that's a that's a hell of a lot of acronyms. Yeah. If you could translate, that would be great. (laughs) What the government does. Right. USSS is the U.S. Secret Service, USPP, U.S. Park Police. Some of the backpacks were placed on the WAMO grounds. I think that's the Washington Monument, but I'm not sure. And are being removed by USPP. That's the U.S. Park Police and NPS Assets National Park Service. So I think that's those are the acronyms. That, and, you know, I have, it took me years after I got out of the military and stopped working for the government to stop speaking <laughs> in acronyms. So. And now I'm asking you to translate them so our listeners and I understand them. One alert shared by a park police commander with police lieutenants and National Park Service officials said the growing crowd near the White House was seen, quote, wearing ballistic helmets, body armor, and carrying radio equipment and military-grade backpacks. This was early, early, people. A U.S. Park Police official also reported one person had been detained with a rifle. Remember, this was supposed to be a gun-free, those tourists, with a rifle near the World War II Memorial. The email, which was sent to a group of park police officers and National Park Service officials, also reported an undercover police unit was monitoring a person in a tree along 16th Street, suspected of having a handgun near his or her waist. A USPP spokesperson said to the IT, the 24-year-old with the rifle was arrested and charged with having an unregistered firearm. Several other incidents with guns are revealed in the internal emails. According to FBI update forwarded to colleagues by U.S. Park Police detective, quote, at approximately 1045 a.m., Federal Protective Service received notification that two individuals were detained by a protective service officer for possession of two guns in a vehicle. According to emails shared by federal law enforcement, D.C. police reported, quote, there have been approximately 10 arrests ranging from simple assault to weapons possessions. By 9.35 a.m. in the district, they had these emails circulating this early. And I am certain, A.G., that the January 6th Select Committee would love to get their hands on these emails as well. Yeah. And and these are already kind of public through a FOIA request. So I'm sure they'll bring them in uh, as part of their you know, to get the entire picture of the story of that day that these emails went out so early. Yeah. Thanks for that story, Dana. Now, finally, you'll remember as soon as SB8 went into effect in Texas, I warned that it would incentivize rape. Uh, Many optimists tried to inform me that rapists can't collect the $10,000 bounty, to which I replied, how nice you think we live in a society where women are all believed and all rapists are prosecuted. Well, right on cue, Greg Abbott, as we talked about at the top of the show, weighed in on a burning question related to the state's recently passed bill banning abortions after six weeks. What about victims of rape? Because there's no exception for them in this law. During a Tuesday press conference, Abbott said the law gives rape victims up to six weeks to get an abortion, so it doesn't force victims to have their assaulter's child. They're fine. And he said, let's be clear, rape is a crime. Thanks, Greg. And then he goes on to say, and Texas will work tirelessly to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the streets. Mm hmm. OK. Yeah. Yep, well, yep. you know, you know how I feel about that. So we don't really have much else to say on the matter. No, that's pretty. Yeah. yeah. That's... So this entire SB8 thing is has been perpetrated by what's known as the, the shadow docket. Joining me now to discuss the shadow docket and the implications of SB8 is professor at the University of Texas School of Law and co-host of the National Security Law podcast, Steve Vladek. Steve, welcome. Thanks. Great to be back. 
It seems I'm always talking to you under very awful circumstances, but it is, it's good to see you. Can we, have, can we have some rainbows and unicorns one of these days? Yeah, one day I'll just ask you to show up out of the blue for no good reason, and uh, we can talk about good news. But today is not that day. No. <laughs> Four days ago, you penned a piece for the Washington Post about the Supreme Court's, in not just abuse of the shadow docket, but how it's been inconsistent. Can you briefly tell us what the shadow docket is and maybe describe some of these inconsistencies. Sure. And um, I actually put up a 15-part Twitter thread about this today. So folks can also um, look there. So um, the shadow docket, it's a relatively new term for a relatively old thing, which is basically that the Supreme Court has mechanisms, like any court does, to manage its docket while cases are pending. Um, and so we tend to focus on sort of the end of the Supreme Court's process when we get those big, fancy decisions at the end of the term on big questions that we care about. But a lot of stuff happens before that. And historically, we haven't cared that much about what happens before that, because even when important things have happened, they've been limited to the parties. But we've really seen in the last four or five years an uptick in a particular kind of relief called emergency relief, which is when very early in a case, a party that loses in the lower court tries to get the Supreme Court to alter the status quo for the duration of the case. So if a federal policy is enjoined by a district court, the federal government asks the Supreme Court to stay the injunction for the duration of the appeal. If a court refuses to block, say, California's COVID restrictions, a party asks the Supreme Court to block them for the duration of the appeal. And, and the sort of the conceit is that all we're asking the Supreme Court to do is to do something temporary while these cases work their way through the courts. The problem is that as these have become larger and larger disputes that aren't just between two parties or not just about, say, an execution, whatever the Supreme Court does, either intervening or not intervening, affects millions of people. Mm -hmm. And it affects millions of people, even though the court is often issuing these summary orders with very little reasoning, because just by tradition, that's how it does docket management. And so we have this tension between the fact that historically these orders were no never mind to the public at large and the extent to which they are increasingly affecting us very, very, very directly. Yeah. And I think some of these inconsistencies, I remember, you know, covering the Mueller investigation and, and the these sort of cases that were weaving their way through the court system, like the Mazars request for Mazars from House Oversight or from Vance or any anything that had to do with Trump handing over his taxes or anything like that. We noticed that the stays were often granted and and it you know, we would read these rulings in the lower courts as like a stay of relief is a very rare thing. It's not a right, it's not guaranteed. And a lot of people I, I feel were kind of shocked by how often these stays were were granted in these cases, but yet not in this one. Is is that kind of what you're talking about with regards to inconsistency? Yeah, but there's an even more latent one here. I mean, so one of the things that the uh, abortion providers were asking the Supreme Court to do was to block SB8, this controversial new Texas abortion law, while they try to figure out how to challenge it in court, while they try to figure out who the right defendants are, because Texas has deliberately absented itself from enforcement and so on. And in refusing to do that, the one paragraph that we got from the majority on Wednesday night cited not procedural obstacles, Allison, but procedural questions, like open procedural questions that we would have to answer before we could give this kind of relief. If we go all the way back to April, there was a case out of California where the same 5-4 conservative majority blocked California's uh, restrictions on in-home gatherings on the ground that they interfered with religious liberty, completely running over not just a procedural question, but actually a procedural roadblock 
which is that they're not supposed to issue that relief unless the law was already clear and they had to make new law to issue the relief. So it's just the inconsistency is that procedural concerns were like the, the majority used those in the Texas case, the way that a drunk uses a lamppost for support, not for illumination. Mm. And when they surfaced in the California case in April, they just ignored them completely. Mm. And what that suggests is that the court is actually not following its rules here and it's just ruling the way it wants to. And that's, you know, the, usually the way that we insulate against that is they give us 30, 40, 50 pages of analysis to explain why this case was different from that one. Well, all we got on Wednesday was a paragraph with no mention of the decision from mm -hmm. April. Yeah. And and it seems that, you know, religious beliefs one way versus religious beliefs another way. But of course, we don't know because it's not mentioned. Like you say, there's no explanation for why it was applied one way in April and a different way today. And even Justice Kagan, I mean, Justice Kagan, who is not usually one to sort of get overly caught up in procedure, right? Her dissent in, in Wednesday's ruling, I think, was actually in some ways the most important. Justice Sotomayor had the most colorful language. She accused the majority of burying their heads in the sand. Chief Justice Roberts wrote about why what Texas is doing procedurally shouldn't be rewarded. But it was Kagan who went after this theme that the court is being inconsistent on the shadow docket specifically in a way that's hard to explain in any other way than that the court is willing to take procedural shortcuts to protect religious liberty and then hide behind procedural questions to not protect abortion. And that's pretty ugly from the perspective of the court's legitimacy and from rep, you know the court's reputation, such as it is, of actually supposedly being above these kinds of you know partisan ideological considerations. Yeah. And then we have to uh, all the talks I'm reminded of that you and I've had about Robert's legacy of the court and and how he he must be feeling. Well, indeed, I mean, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's unworthy of comment that he dissented. Yeah, right. Roberts, who has never been a fan of Roe or Casey, right. Roberts, who I think may very well be willing to you know relegate them to the historical dustbin, and yet even he dissented from Wednesday's order because he couldn't abide the notion that the court would one let Texas get away with these procedural shenanigans, but two do so in this kind of you know, truncated, cryptic, shadow docket type ruling. Yeah. And uh, before I let you go, Merrick Garland, as you know, made a statement on Monday, Attorney General Merrick Garland, about this being an urgent thing, that they're looking at all the possibilities. I know Biden tasked him with that last week. But the first thing that he comes out with is enforcing the FACE Act. But that really doesn't do anything here in Texas. Is there something else, in your opinion, that the Department of Justice could do to protect access to abortion in Texas that's been stripped by this law? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are three big differences um, between, say, the Department of Justice and an abortion provider. The first big difference is the Department of Justice can bring criminal cases. Um, and indeed, there are criminal statutes dating all the way back to Reconstruction about those who are conspiring to interfere in civil rights, yeah. such as the right to procure a pre-viability abortion. The second thing is that the Department of Justice can go right to the Supreme Court using its so-called original jurisdiction to speed things up. And the third is that Texas as a state does not have sovereign immunity if the federal government is the plaintiff. States don't have sovereign immunity from suits by the federal government. Indeed, the case that establishes that proposition is helpfully called the United States versus Texas. <laughs> the problem is that none of those differences get around what has been the stumbling block thus far, which is that there hasn't been a way to block SB8 in a way that is effective statewide. So you block one group of plaintiffs, right, one group of so-called vigilante plaintiffs from suing, another one comes along. You block them, a third one comes along. And you can't block the state because the state isn't a party. It has absented itself from enforcement. So 
you know, there are things DOJ can do at the margins. There may even be policies DOJ can revisit about military hospitals. But with regard to actually speeding up the process of getting a court to strike down SB8, you know, I'm hard pressed to see how the Justice Department is any better situated to solve the specific problem that the Texas law intentionally creates, which is no proper defendant to get statewide relief. And from the provider's perspective, that's what has to happen before I think they'll be willing to reopen their doors. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I, I feel like Merrick Garland's hands are, are kind of tied here. And I mean, in the meantime, because, the, you know, the Everyone wants abortion access protected now, but it's coming up again this fall with another, I think, is it Mississippi 15 week ban? Is that my, do I have that right? Yeah. So there's a case called Dobbs um, that's coming out of Mississippi that, that's on the court's merits docket that's set for, our, well, it's not scheduled yet, but it's probably going to be argued in December. And, you know, the Mississippi has asked the Supreme Court in that case to overrule Roe. There are ways to uphold the Mississippi ban while still preserving access to abortions prior to the 15th week of pregnancy. You know, I, I don't know that those are in any way consistent with Rowan Casey, but they wouldn't at least completely eviscerate the right to pursue an abortion. But the Texas law is not. I mean, there's no universe in which a six-week ban and any right to a pre-viability abortion can coexist because most women don't even know they're pregnant at the six week of pregnancy, measuring not from conception, right, but from the last menstrual cycle. And so in that context, you know, this is a referendum on Roe where there's procedural crap, right, that's in the middle. And I think, you know, the reality is that if there's a way to clear away that procedural baggage, then this is the real test case for Roe, not the one the Supreme Court's already set to hear later this fall. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and my other concern is if Congress can somehow codify Roe, that it would work its way up to the Supreme Court. And I don't know how it would handle it. I mean, I guess we would have to see how their law is written. Yeah, I mean, you know, Congress does have the power under Section 5 of the 14th Amendment to pass legislation that protects rights under Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. And Roe is such a right. So, you know, I think as long as Roe is still on the books, even this court, I think, would have a hard time striking down a statute meant to enforce Roe. Of course, if Roe is limited rather heavily before Congress can ever get to passing such a statute, then I think the court could say, well, you can't expand the right by statute. And that's, you know, this is the trap that the law creates because every other effort to sort of dramatically restrict abortion access since Roe has been subject to meaningful pre-enforcement judicial review. And it's because of the procedural traps this law creates that it hasn't been. Gosh, but uh, I, I guess that's our best option right now. I mean, I think there are no good options right yeah. now. So it's really just about, you know, trying to sort of keep pushing at each possible lever and seeing which one actually has the best chance of moving the needle. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. Everyone check out the National Security Law Podcast. Follow Steve Vladek on Twitter. Check out that thread you put up today. Steve, thanks for speaking with me. Thank you. Everybody stay with us. We'll be right back with Zev Shalev from the Narrative Podcast. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the Beans. And today's episode of the pod is brought to you by Toodaloo, which is my new favorite thing. Now you can say goodbye to bland, boring, unhealthy trail mix made with chemicals that can harm you and the planet. Most trail mix, I didn't know this, but it's filled with processed sugars and dirty nuts that are dry roasted in toxic refined oils like canola, palm, or soybean oil. But not Toodaloo. Toodaloo is the world's first all-natural, totally delicious, climate-friendly trail mix packed with plant protein, superfoods, 
and adaptogenic herbs like lion's mane, ashwagandha, and reishi to help balance and support your body and mind. Toodaloo comes in five unique and tasty flavors, chocolate, maple brittle, coffee, barbecue, and hot and spicy. The ancient herbs in each flavor promote a specific function in the body, like better skin or better gut health or a chill mood. I like the barbecue flavor very much. It's called Smoke Show. It has 42 grams of plant protein per bag, and it's also low in carbs and supports energy flow to fuel your day. Toodaloo is grain-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, dairy-free, processed sugar-free, and the packaging is plastic neutral. And it's the most satisfying and best-tasting trail mix I've ever had. And for each order placed, Toodaloo regenerates 100 square feet of polluted farmland back into rich, fertile soil. Yay! Nutritious food for you and a cleaner planet for us all. So I've got a special offer for listeners. You get $5 off your first order of Toodaloo. Just visit toodaloo.com slash beans. That's toodaloo, T-O-O-D-A-L-O-O dot com slash beans. And Toodaloo is so confident you'll love it. Each purchase is backed by a 100% best taste guarantee. This will definitely become your favorite go-to snack. Seriously, the taste is amazing. So visit toodaloo.com slash beans and try it today. Today's show is also brought to you by All Form. I absolutely love All Form because they craft beautiful premium furniture designed to my specifications and it's delivered fast and free of charge directly to my door. With Allform, you can customize your own luxury furniture, including premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You pick up, you, you can pick your sofa color, the size and the configuration and the shape and the fabric. And the fabric is spill stain and scratch resistant. So I, for the first time, have a leather couch. I could never have one because of the pod pets, but because of the spill stain and scratch resistantness of it, I chose a three-seater sofa with whiskey colored leather. It's got a walnut leg finish and a chaise lounge. It's comfy and it looks amazing. Allform delivers fast too, just three to seven days in the mail. And you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes without any tools. They have beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight seat sectionals. And you can always start small and add on if you move into a bigger house. And you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. So there's no risk. And they have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I'm honored to be joined by the host of Narrative, which is a show on our group of MSW Media podcasts. And I'm so excited to talk to him today. Please welcome Zev Shalev. Zev, how are you? I'm great. Nice to talk to you, Alison. It's my first time on The Beans. I'm very excited. I'm a rookie. (laughs) Yes, this is your first time on The Beans. And I'm very excited to have you, and it's great to see your face, and I love your new set. And uh, we're going to be talking about your show, Narrative, in a minute, because coming up today, actually, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern, live, you do your live Narrative Live Mm -hmm. show, and then soon after that, it'll be available as a a podcast if people want to go and listen to to the audio podcast of the live show that happens tonight. They can do that wherever they get their podcast. But importantly, is the topic that you're going to be discussing. And you often have, who are your guests tonight on Narrative? So tonight we have Steve Hassan, who's the uh, cult expert, the guy who's also very uh, well known for being in the Moonies at the start of his world in an introduction into the cult world. He's going to be on to discuss what the Moonies were doing uh, on, on January the 6th. And we also have Michael Edison Hayden from the Southern Poverty Law Center, who's going to be bringing in some really interesting information about uh, a Russian uh, intelligence element, which was involved in January the 6th, which is just fascinating. You know, you and I have been talking about Russia, Russia, Russia for many, many years. Russia is still in the building. In this case, they were in the capital. And this is really interesting information, uh, a groundbreaking investigation that looks at at who was planning it, the actual people involved in planning it that are proven to be, or at least assumed to be, intelligence assets from Russia, and also the amount of money that they spent. 
to make sure that January 6th happened, not just in the week or two before January the 6th, but in the months leading up to January the 6th. Mm. That is going to be absolutely a fascinating conversation. I know we've spoken to Dr. Hassan before to answer some questions that listeners had about what they can do about, you know, family members in particular that are in the Trump cult. And it is most definitely a cult. And so that it's going to be really interesting to get his perspective, especially when you start bringing Russia into the conversation. And I think that I mean, I'm going to be watching and I think the probably the best way to watch what is to go to your Twitter account. I just watch right on Twitter live. That's the best place to watch. It's at Zev Shalev on Twitter is the best place to get it. That's right. The Z, I forgot. <laughs> the Z and the Zs, they're very troubling. <laughs> yes, they are. Absolutely fascinating. Is is any of your regular guest hosts going to be joining you? No, but uh, they will be back on Friday. We're now three nights a week. So we're now Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And the Friday edition always features Greg Oliar and Lincoln's Bible, LB. So it'll be great to be back with them this Friday. Love those two. They're two of my favorite people. So uh, two of yours, I know. So it's great to have uh, to be back with them this Friday. There's nothing quite like an LB laugh track. I, oh. I want to bottle it and and use it in, I don't know, if I ever do a sitcom. It needs to just be <laughs> right. If you, if you could, you make a fortune. I know, I know. She's so wonderful and so smart, too. And her podcast, The World Beneath, is really, really amazing, too. I, I recommend everybody check that out, too. Yeah. And Greg Oliar's uh, podcast is fantastic. So um, the, the Prevail podcast, which also is part of your big empire. So which is great. Small, very small. <laughs> and interesting, I wanted to ask you about your thoughts, because tomorrow we're going to have Jenny Cohn on. You know, she's a election security expert, mm. but she's really doing a deep dive into what's going on with Bolsonaro and what appears to be a dry run for for another coup attempt here in the United States going on in Brazil. And my understanding is Jason Miller's down there, mm. maybe, I don't know, trying to evade child support. But he, you know, Bannon and there's a, there is currently like right now, as we speak, an attack on the Capitol in Brazil going on. And it, it, it just seems to be a carbon copy of what happened here on January 6th. And I'm wondering, I'd be interested if your, your guest who, who's going to talk about Russia's involvement in our insurrection what their particular involvement, if any, is in in what's going on in Brazil. Well, you know, I'm not surprised to hear it because there's so many uh, similarities between what happened here in 2016 and what happened with Bolsonaro's election. All the same people were involved. And, it does, you know, it's a global network that is trying to destroy democracy. It makes sense that they're trying the same play in different countries. And, you know, we were successful at least getting Trump out of office. I sure hope the Brazilians can get Bolsonaro out of office at some point in the future. Yeah. And we saw it with Rudy and Eric Prince in Venezuela. And I mm. know that Rudy was kind of uh, lobbying illegally, by the way, lobbying. I think it was Brian Benchkowski. Do you remember that guy? He was put in charge of the criminal division at Department yes, of Justice. Yes, I do remember yeah. him. <laughs> Shouldn't have been, should have been recused from everything. Yeah. But somehow he, Benchkowski, was in there. And I know that Barr either walked by that meeting or walked in and sat down and then got up and left. But he was trying to, to lobby one of his uh, Venezuelan friends who, who whose house he stays at in Vienna, I guess, where Fertash is. I mean, the network is just absolutely, it's bonkers. Zeb, it's and never I, the nice people. It's never the good people. It's always the people yeah. on the other side of of, you know, criminality, of, of uh, breaking the law. They're just not the people, you know, you'd want to take home to your mom. That's for sure. <laughs> you'd be terrified if any of them came home to see my mom. So, you know, I think that there's a, there's a, we're learning that these are not good people. They did not follow the rule of law. They're organized criminals. 
a lot of the time, or they're attached to organized criminal elements a lot of the time. And their intentions are not noble. I mean, at the end of the day, they are attacking democracy. They're attacking people's rights. And, you know, we're all we're all going to be in peril because of it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I have some more uh, specific things I want to talk to you about Russia and specific ties to members of Congress here, people that were involved in the insurrection. But I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Absolutely. Awesome. Everybody will be right back. Stay with us. Hello, all. It's AG. As you know, I used to have very, very bad sleep issues and sleep is my favorite thing. So it sucked. I would toss and turn relentlessly all night and then I would wake up feeling tired and my bones would be sore. And I thought it was from stress or politics or pandemics. But I took a two minute sleep quiz and realized my mattress was made for someone else and not me. So if you want to get the best night's sleep of your life, do what I did and take the online sleep quiz at helixsleep.com slash daily beans. Helix will match your sleep preferences and body type with a mattress that's perfect for you. Whether it's soft, medium, or firm mattresses you love, or if you will need to regulate your body temperature if you sleep hot, we have mattresses for spinal alignment to prevent morning pains, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. Uh, the quiz matched me with a Helix Midnight, because I like a medium firm mattress and I sleep on my side, so it's perfect for me. And now I wake up feeling refreshed and well-rested and energized for the whole day. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews and was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And it's been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it for 100 sleeps, risk-free. They'll pick it up if you don't love it and refund your money, but you will love it. And they have financing options and flexible payments available. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Today's show is also brought to you by WordTune. Did you know in the U.S. businesses waste over $400 billion each year due to bad writing that causes confusion, misses the mark, or takes too long to get to the point? On the flip side, better writing helps businesses win and impress clients and customers. It enhances your brand perception and it improves internal communication and it strengthens relationships with critical partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for teams. Going way beyond simple spelling and grammar correction, WordTune is the only AI-powered writing tool that understands not just meaning, but intent, and it offers writing suggestions that can help anyone achieve clear and compelling writing. It's the ultimate writing tool to evaluate your entire team's writing instantly. I love using WordTune. You just highlight any copy you want to revise. It gives you a number of alternative wordings while maintaining the original intent. You can shorten or lengthen sentences and even change the tone. WordTune improves performance and uh, for any project, everything from internal emails to press releases, sales outreach to customer service support, and so much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, WhatsApp, wherever you're writing online. You can use the little icon and you can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. So if you're looking to elevate your entire team's writing, you can get a discount for the team, your whole team today at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. Wordtune improves writing efficiency up to four times and better, faster writing means better business. So start writing with Wordtune at wordtune.com slash dailybeans. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking to the host of Narrative Live and the narrative podcast Zev Shalev. And tonight at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern, you have a very important show and you're going to be touching on not just the Trump cult movement, but also potential Russian involvement, not just, you know, throwing money at the insurrection, but actually physically being there in the Capitol. And we've, we've heard rumors about this. And I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts were with regards to, uh, you know, we all know, you and I know, you and I follow the Mueller investigation, like, just so, so closely. And oftentimes it seemed that 
you know, we would have these direct links between people close to the Trump campaign or chairing the Trump campaign and Russian agents, for example, Konstantin Kalimnik and Manafort. And but also these sort of ancillary connections, like all the messaging back and forth between Trump Jr. and WikiLeaks and Roger Stone and WikiLeaks. And I, I remember distinctly Assange texting Jr. in the lead up to the 2016 election saying, hey, if your dad loses, you know, what you should probably do is just pretend like the whole thing was rigged and then you could go after, you know, the fake news media. And he put fake news in quotes and then, you know, build your own media empire from from there. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? And and then we you know, we've got so Roger Stone, we've got Alex Jones and his connections to the insurrection. Of course, Enrique Tario reporting to Mm -hmm. prison today. And then, of course, we have Russia, Russia, Ron Johnson, who Mm -hmm. who's been, frankly, very involved. So the signs and signals have all been there. Right. But was there some sort of a. I don't want to say smoke and gun, but a little more connective tissue that you're going to be talking about on the show tonight. There absolutely is. You know, there's a character who lives out in Connecticut who's, uh, who's you know, for all, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a Russian agent. Maybe he's a little bit more of an asset, but he's certainly knowingly an asset. He's connected to Milofiev, Alexander Milofiev, the, the guy who Putin trusts with helping the uh, Orthodox Church do their thing. But he's also the person who was very involved in making Ukraine happen. The attack on Crimea was ultimately. Milofiev's doing. And so he's the same connection that is connected to what happened with the insurrection through this particular agent that we'll be exposing tonight at seven o'clock Eastern regarding this uh, Russian interference in, in, the inter- in the insurrection, which is really another interference in the 2020 election. Yeah, it, it, it is continuing as part of the one giant scheme. And that's what, mm. you know, a lot of people, including myself, are like, what is the Department of Justice doing about this? And I talked specifically to Alexander Vindman, recently, who said that, you know, Ukraine, what's going on in Ukraine with Rudy, the Biden interference, the Biden laptop operation, COVID and the insurrection and the big lie are all one giant scheme, right? This one giant conspiracy. And I said, well, shouldn't we add 2016 into that? Because we can go all the way back. And, you know, people are a little trepidatious to cross to, you know, they're, they're towing that line with including the 2016 interference and conspiracy to interfere in our elections to more recent election interferences. They're kind of seeing it as two separate things. I see it as one thing. Do you see it as one thing? I see it as one thing, but I also think there's a giant disinformation effort out there to try and convince people that anytime someone says Russia, 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 it's a hoax, you know, so that there's a reason why people are distrusting of the facts and that, but that's because there's a disinformation effort and it's a very disturbing one. It's the same reason we have so many people refusing to take vaccines and the deaths we're having. I mean, these have real life consequences, these disinformation efforts uh, you know, through Russia and other people's efforts. So, you know, it is incredibly concerning, but I do think it is ultimately all one thing. You know, Russia and her allies, his allies, however you want to say it, has so many dishonest and benign interests around the United States. They really want to destroy America. You know, that's their stated interest is destroying America. And this is how they're doing it. And they've said that, too. They've said it you know, in plain language that they'll use fake news, they'll use disinformation efforts, they'll use polarization. Those are the things that they'll do to divide America and destroy it. Yeah, well, their top general in 2014 put together their war book mm-hmm. at the GRU and wrote, this is our new thing. This is what we're going to be using, cyber attacks, socio, you know, social uh, media, uh, psychometrics, psychographics, disinformation. Not, not that disinformation is anything new to Russia. 
But uh, they were shifting from, you know, their spycraft nuclear thing over to, you know, Cold War over to this new hot, what I call hot war, but mm. that's a different term for actual war that's going on. But to just this new concept of warfare. And they put it, like you said, in writing in 2014. I, I read about it in Russian Roulette, which is a, a, an excellent book if anyone hasn't, you know, if you're if you've got a bunch of free time and you have some time to pick up a, <laughs> a book, I recommend reading Russian Roulette. But it's it, to me, it's clearly all linked. And the reason I brought that to to, I guess, anyone's attention who's listening is because a lot of people are concerned about statutes of limitations expiring yeah. on a lot of these conspiracy crimes. And I think that we've talked and you've talked about this. We've talked about it, Zev. The statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking until you stop criming if if the crimes are connected. And that's why I think with the obstruction of justice crimes, which I wish the Department of Justice would pick up all of volume two of the Mueller report. I think that the statute of limitations isn't up next year. I think that the actual granting of the pardons that were dangled during those obstructions of justice, I guess, are part of the entire scheme. And those didn't happen until, you know, the end of 2020, which gives us till 2025. But if if they're trying to put together a massive investigation of the entire scheme to overthrow American democracy, that's going to be a much larger and daunting task than I think any American attorney general has faced in their lifetime in our in the history of our country. And so I'm guessing that the Department of Justice is going to go after this. You can't divorce it from the investigation part of it. But, you know, in the charging, if there's any charging, I think that they might opt for individual smaller crimes and not the entire conspiracy, because that's just so impossible to prove, much like with with Manafort. They had enough to charge him for conspiracy with handing polling data over to Konstantin Kalimnik. They had enough. And I'm not speculating. That's what Andrew Weissman has told me. But they didn't. They went after the tax crimes much easier. And they got a great conviction. And he was going to go to prison. Of course, there was a pardon. Yeah, we don't have the time, I don't believe, to go after the whole thing. We're just going to run out of time. Democracy's ready. You know, uh, having a, has a very short runway ahead of it. And we, we got to do something quickly. And I, I like you, I'm really you know, despondent about the lack of action by the DOJ. But I do think there is some action on the insurrection. It will be interesting as we peel back this another layer of, of what went on in the insurrection, whether they will go after some of these Russian elements or these foreign elements like the Moonies as well. You know, they were involved in this as well. And, you know, the Moonies, for all intents and purposes, is a very, uh, you know, is, is a cult to some people. Other people might view it differently, obviously, as a religion, but it certainly looks and feels like a cult in, in the way they've structured it. So there's a there's there's a lot for them to go after in terms of the insurrection. I don't know if they'll go after all these ancillary foreign um, agent types or or these other groupings that were involved. But I certainly agree with you that it's, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time and we've got to do things quickly to save democracy. So piecemeal is makes sense. Yeah, piecemeal does make sense. And we did learn a lesson from the Mueller investigation that you, you can go after 26 Russian individuals and entities and all they're going to do is abuse the court system to right. try to get to try to get our our spy craft and, you know, methods and sources and stuff during discovery. We learned that lesson. The courts did shut it down. But, you know, go ahead and indict them. But like, is it even worth it? We can't. There's no extradition treaty. There's no et cetera. But at least expose it in, in some sort of a speaking indictment. I, that's, that would be my preference. Oh, 100 percent. I think look, the, the rule of law needs to be defended. We may have to bend or break some rules 
to defend it, to be quite honest. You know, the, the way we got here was uh, Donald Trump and, and his crowd really ignoring all the rules. We may need to do some of that in order to get to the finish line. But there is a grave threat to the country right now. We're seeing it in so many ways. We're seeing it in ways that are external to the justice system. But, you know, we really need to act quickly. And uh, the, the sooner we do things and the, you know, more inventively we do things, the better off we'll be. Uh, and that includes you know, impeaching people like Kavanaugh, taking some real action to, you know, make sure the Supreme Court actually helps us. Uh, is actually a, a court that people can trust. Those are the, those are critical as we head into the next election cycle. Without a without a Supreme Court that we can all trust, it's going to be a very messy election. There's just no way around it. Yeah, I don't think we'll be able to impeach him, but there's no reason we shouldn't investigate. Oh yeah, and indict him if you know the the evidence is there. But before I let you go, though, I mean, Mueller was an institutionalist, and he was unwilling to bend any rules to save democracy. I think Merrick Garland is of the same cut from the same cloth. He's an institutionalist. I don't think he will break or bend any rules. I think he's going to go buy the book. Although I don't think I don't think the um, hopefully they'll get rid of that stupid office, a legal counsel memo. But it doesn't matter anymore because Trump's out of office. But it does matter for future presidents mm-hmm. uh, that that memo be rescinded or or at least a new opinion is written that overrules that old opinion. But that's my concern is that these are these are by the book institutionalist small C conservative dudes. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, even given uh, Lisa Monaco, Kristen Clark and, and the rest, uh, Vanita Gupta, I'm not sure that this Department of Justice is going to is going to go big. I agree with you, sadly. I mean, I just feel like the the environment is not calling for any you know, the people are not really calling for this uh, to, for justice in the way that you'd expect them to. But I think it's also part of the disinformation system. So, you know, Merrick Garland is not the kind of guy who's going to who's going to go you know, knee deep into investigations that he, he can't close, I don't think. Uh, so they're going to be making 100 percent sure that they can close these. And in many cases, I don't think that there's enough law to prove that, that their crimes were committed. I mean, there's just not a lot of law around what people around the president can do or can do. So, you know, it's very hard to prove ultimately that they were breaking the law. Well, one thing he can do 100 percent for fucking certain is to bring charges against Donald Trump for obstruction of justice. At the very least, there's at least four beautifully laid out. You don't even have to lift a finger. All of the evidence is there. We're within the statute of limitations. There are at least four instances of obstruction of justice. Bring those charges. I don't, unless he's sort of trying to put it together in some larger conspiracy, I don't understand why those charges haven't been brought yet. Well, and there must be reasons for that that include his, you know, past affiliations with various uh, investigations and investigative bodies that probably give him some sort of immunity of some sort. Mm, yes, that the whole argument that we've, we, you, we, you and I in Lincoln's Bible have talked about that he's in, a, he's a confidential informant. Yeah, and if he is, you know, he's probably got some cover, probably. Um, so he, he's not that worried about it. Yeah, how come Carter was for exactly why Carter Page didn't get exactly <laughs> exactly why all these people ultimately they're all informants at the end of the day, like Roger Stone and all those. So it's, you're not going to get to a point, I don't think, where it's going to be you know, really easy to indict Donald Trump. But it also might be politically dangerous. When you look at what they're doing around these, you know, the people arrested for the insurrection and the, and, uh, the Republicans and MAGAites, whatever you want to call them, uh, saying that these are political prisoners and, and planning some sort of event on September 18th, which could look a lot like January the 6th. You know, that, that event happens. It's, it's, you can see how arresting people and arresting or indicting Donald Trump could really inflame the situation. True. But I, I am of the belief that we the, the rule of law is the rule of law. We shouldn't make decisions on whether or not to prosecute or bring charges based on how 
someone might react. A hundred percent. I think that's that's there's only that's the line we can't cross, and uh, we appear to be crossing it. Yeah, and and uh, I'm gonna be real mad <laughs> if those announcements come. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Tune in tonight, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern time at Zev Shalev on Twitter. You can watch it live on Twitter, and then in a couple of days, you can if you if you can't make it tonight, which I really recommend you do then you can pick it up on the audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. Thanks so much, Zev, for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for having me on. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's Allison for The Beans. A lot of you I know that listen to this show are creators, makers, and entrepreneurs and independent professionals. And I respect you for making it through the last year. And I'd like to help make 2021 even better. So if you're an entrepreneur or independent professional, Now is the time to accelerate ahead all of your competitors, and I want to help you do that. I just got together with Proton. That is an app-based all-in-one tool for small businesses, and we're announcing an incredible free offer, and I'll have more on that in a second. Let me tell you about Proton. It's P-R-O-T-O-N-N, two N's in Proton. It's the smartest, fastest, easiest business solution I've ever seen for growing and managing a small business, and it's all in a single app. Through their fully integrated app, In just a few minutes, you can create your public profile to showcase your services or your art or your things that you're selling. Uh, It's like LinkedIn on on steroids. Use Proton's magic mode to interact with PDFs and documents and images to make engaging videos and attract new clients and customers. You can connect your calendar for hassle-free scheduling. No more back-and-forth phone calls. You can manage your payments easily and get paid faster with easy and secure options through credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Venmo, and more. And you can track revenue and client analytics to understand your customers and watch your sales grow with one single dashboard to manage it all. And right now, Daily Beans listeners, you get Proton for free. Yes, completely free. Visit proton.com slash dailybeans. And that's where you download the app from. Download the app from this particular URL. It's proton, P-R-O-T-O-N-N dot com slash dailybeans. Download that app. Set up your public profile in minutes. uh, All at your fingertips. It's all there. That's proton.com slash dailybeans. Again, proton.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by the best shower head in the world. You know I'm remodeling my bathroom right now. You might hear some banging in the background, as a matter of fact, because it's literally happening as we speak. And I got rid of everything. I gutted it all, but I'm keeping one thing. And that is my Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower. It is the best shower of my life. I upgraded to Nebbia and I've never looked back. It's backed by some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Tim Cook, and is designed by former Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers who spent years researching and developing a superior shower experience that saves water. That's really big and important for me here. So despite using 45% less water, it sprays 81% more powerful than the competition. The atomized drops of Nebbia's um, showerhead, it rinses shampoo and conditioner out of the thickest, longest hair. It's easy to install. If you can change a light bulb, you can install Nebbia by Moen. I did it myself. I love it so much. My shower experience is now like a steam room and a shower all in one. And there's kind of a waterfall feeling to it as well. The Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower starts at just $1.99. And for Daily Beans listeners, we have a deal. The first 100 people to use code BEANS at Nebbia.com will get 10% off all Nebbia products. Now, Nebbia rarely does deals like this. Usually they don't really mark up their stuff much. So this is a great deal to jump on. Go to Nebbia.com slash beans. That's Nebbia, N-E-B-I-A dot com slash beans to check out what they have to offer. And again, the first 100 people to use the code BEANS at checkout will save 10% on all Nebbia products. Again, Nebbia.com slash beans and use code beans at checkout to save 10%. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is all the way. Yeah. 
Dana, I need good news today. I need the good news. Please, 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 please give it to us. This, you know, this stuff in Texas, it's, it's, it's difficult to, it's difficult to keep hearing about. It's difficult to keep living through it. I can only imagine what the, the, the women and other, you know, uh, non-binary people and trans men who can get pregnant are dealing with there. It's, it's awful, awful. Yeah. And, and allies too, you know? Yeah, of course. It must be, must be kind of terrifying and scary. And I imagine now law firms, instead of, you know, were you exposed to asbestos in the 1970s? Call us. It's going to be, do you know anyone who got an abortion? Call us at Bender and Bender. And it's so the ambulance chasers are going to turn into womb chasers and who knows what kind of deals lawyers can make with rapists and you know, and what what kind of deals, you know, even if we're going to go the the nice, nice route and what's w- say my partner and I decide that he impregnates me and I get an abortion and he turns me in and the state gives him 10 grand and we split it like there's just all sorts oh, of God. fucked up. Wow. We really I mean, we need to switch back to the good news. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh yeah, you're right. We're in the good news segment. I'm sorry. No, just, that's my brain. You know what? It's it's understandable. This is this is something very important to you and very personal to you. So please don't apologize. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to let's do the good news. This is from Sean. No pronouns given. Hi, Ag. I feel like I know you as I've been an avid Daily Beans podcast listener for a couple of years now, and of course I've listened to every single episode of Cleanup, and I'm an OA listener as well. Well, hello, Sean. When you were on holiday last week, I missed your voice in my ears and the way you deliver the news in a no bullshit way. I can't stand to listen to mainstream media anymore, period, and can barely read any of it, though I'm glad you took a much needed break. I just listened to your intro on your first show back at 2CNN. And though I don't usually do this kind of thing, I wanted to reach out and say thank you. Thank you for everything that you do and all the heart and soul you pour into your work and for how you care and for how you keep us all informed. I've been feeling pretty down in the dumps about the Texas abortion ruling and the shitty direction the Republicans keep trying to take us in. But when I heard your intro, my spirits immediately lifted. If we keep reaching out to each other, we could find strength in one another to keep fighting this fascist, authoritarian, extremist fuckery. Thank you for you and your network now. Keep fighting the good fight. Oh, thank you, Sean. See, I hope that that reinforces... You and you do good. You do good things. You do good work, my friend. So do you. So do you, my friend. Thank you so much for that submission to kick us off. That is heartfelt good news. Now we're going to move on to a correction. This is actually from a couple of listeners caught this. On Monday's episode of The Beans, Allison mentioned a couple of times that the Texas abortion bill defines pregnancy starting on the last day of your last period. It's actually the first day of your last period, which is the standard way of defining the start of a pregnancy. When you consider that periods typically last up to seven days, that's basically a whole extra week of your pregnancy when you aren't actually pregnant yet, which takes it down to five. Thank you. Yes, you are correct. It is the first day of your last period, which makes it even a shorter amount of time before you know. But, you know, how are you going to prove that? Honestly, how is a person suing me for, let's say I get an abortion at six weeks and one day after the first day of my last period? What does discovery look like? Are you going to raid my wastebasket in my bath? Like, how are you going to prove when I had my last menstrual cycle? I yeah. just, I don't, I, and, and, we know that there's so many problems with this. There are so many problems with this. It's clearly written by fucking people who don't understand women or vaginas or where clitorises are. Clitori? 
Clitorati? Clitorati. Let's call them the Clitorati because we want revenge, <laughs> sons of bitches. We are now the Clitorati. They clearly don't know anything about any anything. Anyway, yes. But thank you for that submission. And I, I hear there's pet tax attached here. Oh, yes. Ah, this is from Alexis. Um, this one specifically is from Alexis. Pronoun she and her. Attaches a picture for find the mutt. Is, is this what I'm moving Ooh. on to? Yes. The photo is my so, yeah, obligatory so back to school photo of my daughter who went back in person learning for third grade after being in remote school for the last year. I wish I could say it's good news that my daughter is back in school, but honestly, with COVID still raging and no vaccines for kids, I honestly wish our state, Massachusetts, was offering remote learning again, and I have a whole lot of anxiety about having my kids in school. Our dog, if you can find her, is also not happy that the kids aren't home this year. I see. I see her. Oh my God, it reminds me. Oh, that's, oh, by the way, adorable. I, I need those leggings. Oh my goodness. These are, this is so great. So it's, it's not what the mutt, it's not find the cat, it's find the mutt. And love I love it. it. And there, there's the mutt. So adorable. Thank you. Uh, yep. I'll answer bottom left window. Yes. Yes. That's what I saw. Oh, it looks like these dogs are about to drop an album. Oh my God. Do you want to okay. go for it? And Erica, pronoun she, her, who had the same correction, plus, Included a few pics of my canine frat boys. Feel free to play what the mutt. (laughs) But I can only give a true answer for one of the three. Hudson is the black doggo. Tucker is the brown snaggle face. And Linus is the pup that clearly knows how handsome he is. Oh, yeah. All right. So. Oh, my God. The snaggle tooth. uh, uh, uh. (laughs) So there's labs in here and some German shepherds and. And maybe some pit bulls and probably a chow chow. Yeah, what do you think? I, all of those things. Tucker and his snaggle tooth has my heart, though. Yeah. So we got Shepherd Pity Lab. Okay. I said all those things. Tucker, I'm going Chocolate Lab Pointer. Good call on the pointer. And probably Sloth from Goonies. Hilarious. <laughs> Baby Ruth. <laughs> Ruth. Hey, you guys. Hey, okay. you guys. And <laughs> <laughs> Linus. Lucky it's one of my favorite Road. movies. Me too. No, Goonies never say that. Uh, the only one I actually know is Linus, Husky, Akita, German Shepherd, and Lab. Oh, okay, wow. so I got the German Shepherd and Lab, but I missed the Husky and Akita. I had Chow Chow and Pity instead. But That's because we always do. We always do. Oh. Beautiful. And I love how you call them the uh, the canine frat boys. Oh my God, I know. So cute. <laughs> All right. This next one's from Matt. Pronounce he, him. Hey, Beans Queens. I was hoping for some help celebrating my 15-year wedding anniversary with wife Ashley. We've been together for two deployments, driven across the country three times, and been stationed in five states. Attached is one of our wedding photos, a recent photo, and a screenshot of the painting I got her for this year's gift. The Paint Your Life, thank you, OA, combined three photos to give us a painting with Thor and Cleo. Cleo is the solo cup drinking kitty from a few months ago. Thank you for the podcast and the time you put into research. And these are gorgeous wedding photos. Yeah, we used to we used to do the Paint Your Life sponsors. So, oh, look at this. Oh, wait, are you now? Oh, with the anchors, you're a chief. Look at that. Okay, chief in the navy. Oh, nice. Yes, the cat. Hey, love it. The dog. What's up? This is beautiful. You guys both look so beautiful still. How long have they been married? 15? I'd call bullshit. You guys look like you've been married for like four years. (laughs) It was an arranged marriage when they were six. (laughs) (laughs) We were betrothed by the Navy. (laughs) It just happened. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's beautiful. Oh, you guys are still, what a beautiful couple. And uh, let me, are you senior chief? Are you master chief? I can't see. I, I can't, I can't zoom in on your collar device. Uh, I'm just going to call you chief. But these are wonderful. Thank you for this submission. And a happy anniversary. Happy 15-year wedding anniversary. Indeed. Mm-mm. Ashley and Matt sitting in a tree. Okay, next up. <laughs> from A, pronoun she and her. A, cool first initial. Hey, just an update from an earlier good news y'all read out loud on the beans. This weekend, my husband and I celebrated three months of amazingly happy marriage and a wonderful new family. Nice. We're settled into a new mutual home and our kiddos are both back in schools that challenge and educate them. Oh, good. That's that's the important part. I've been back teaching face to face for more than a month and my students have been overwhelmingly compliant about wearing a mask since I showed them a picture of my son and explained that he's too young to be vaccinated, but was born really early and doesn't have good lungs. Aww. Oh, these kids. Although both of our children have known or been in classrooms where students have been positive for COVID, neither has fallen ill. And luckily, there have been no serious side effects among the students who have been positive. Overall, yeah, right. Me too. We've been rolling along and doing our best in incredibly stressful and enraging times. I'm so grateful we could create something which models true partnership and prioritizing family for our kids. And I thank you for your well wishes. Thank you so much for all you do every day to counter the racist, xenophobic, and dishonest right-wing rhetoric. Your work is greatly appreciated. Kind wishes and good journey. Also, my stepdaughter's hair continues to be gorgeous, as you noted last time. Oh, yes, that's right. I was like... Oh, my goodness. It sure does. That hair color. I'm so jealous. What a gorgeous family. I know. Look oh, look at that suit. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> thank you. The best and the little... Oh, and I love how I love how the kids have white flowers and the parents have orange flowers, little boutonnieres that match. That's adorable. Very sweet. Well done. Okay. This is from Paul. Pronouns he, him. Hi, Allison. Great to have you back today. Although your stand-in hosts and the interviews you arranged during your vacay were outstanding. The opening of the show today really struck a chord with me. I, too, have my moments of anger and despair over the past five years, but it seems to me that there are many reasons to be hopeful. I think we're living through the birth of democracy, not the death. In the history of our country, we have never had a true democracy. It was always designed to ensure white male supremacy. Even when formerly enslaved persons and women were eventually given the right to vote, Jim Crow laws, gerrymandering, and other explicit and more subtle methods have been used to maintain control. I think a big difference now is that many more are awake and are fighting back and will never go back to sleep again. That at times makes the struggle seem even worse. The more we fight, the more desperate the reactionary forces become. Even though the forces that oppose democracy have many advantages designed to preserve minority rule, the Electoral College, structure of the U.S. Senate, hostile media, or at least largely complicit, illegally packed Supreme Court, etc., we have the numbers and the right on our side. I do not think that victory is by any means guaranteed. We must keep fighting like hell. I think in the end we will prevail. They have the advantage of having a lot of money, a rigged system, and shameless and immoral liars like the former guy, Ron Johnson, Kevin McCarthy, Madison Cawthorn, but we have people like Stacey Abrams, Latasha Brown, Cecile Richards, Sherrod Brown, Mm. all the guests you bring on the beans, not to mention you, Dana and Amy. I like our chances. Mm. As a pod pet tax, I'm including another picture of our three-month-old kitten, Luigi. He is not sure what's happened, probably a very localized mini tornado. Also, after three weeks of slow progress, he is our other kitty, Eloise. And they're getting closer and closer, literally. Mm. That table, all the candles sticks down. <sighs> that was such a beautiful submission. Dude, it's so optimistic. Thank you for um, 
Thanks for taking the, you know, taking the baton. Totally, Paul. Thank you, Paul. And uh, that that um, that really helped. I appreciate it very much. You deserve it. Whew. Okay. All right. Well, that is the show. For That's today. the show. It's a good, uh, good show. It's a big show. It's uh, right here in our show. Steve Ledick will be joining in Zev Shalev. What a cool name, Zev Shalev, by the right? way. Right? You were just born to do something good with Zev Shalev. Uh, you have to, kind of. And that accent that he has, just get out of my face. But don't, because <laughs> you're on my don't. network. Yeah, uh, get in my face. I want to see, watch the show tonight at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. You definitely want to catch it. And then again on Friday, LB and Greg Oliar will be back there. And those are two of my besties too. So anyway, it's been, it's, it's rough out there, but you guys are there and I'm here for you. And, and, and Dana's here for us. And it's, we're all, it's all awesome. Uh, Although, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. A little tongue tied. We gotcha. Thanks. I have nothing. I have no more words today. I have no more words. Okay. I only have my words that I always say, which are everyone until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Dana Goldberg. Them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.